Well, good morning. And uh, seems like we already had church. I guess we can go home now, right? Those kids. Scriptures teach us that thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What a great privilege it is to see the children studying their verses and carrying on in such a, a way that honors the Lord. Let me get adjusted up here. I think not a lot of people have been up here, so everything's a little squeaky. And uh, thank you, brother. Well, if you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, I have that responsibility of uh, sharing and, and maybe uh, developing a couple of key thoughts out of Ephesians chapter 5. And that's our target today, is we're going to develop perhaps maybe two key thoughts uh, to help us uh, understand and more than just understand but to apply the Word of God. You know, what, what use is a whole lot of knowledge if you don't get to put it to use, right? Um, it was, I was talking to uh, uh, my son the other day, Aaron. He was talking to somebody, and uh, they were talking about using some money. Oh, they were talking about how uh, this kid that was working with us, he was talking about how he delivers pizza, and where he delivers pizza is... Uh, hotels. It's near hotels. And he said there's a lot of people who are on vacation and they order pizza and he brings it up to the hotels. And he says it's amazing that people on vacation usually tip really good. And uh, Aaron says, well, that's the reason why you save your money up. So you can spend it, right? You don't save it up just to keep it in the bank. And I think understanding and the thoughts and the, 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 the knowledge that we receive from the Bible is not knowledge we just gain and store up, is it? It has to be more than that. There has to be some application. There has to be some working out. And I think uh, the Apostle Paul uh, targets that and helps us to understand that here in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Now, just a little backdrop. We've already went over... Uh, quite a few times on Ephesians. And, you know, I think we want to put into, into our mental thinking maybe some of the background of Ephesians. When we open the Bible, many times, especially having been a believer for some time, or even some of you have been raised in a Christian family, and when you open the Bible, there's this natural concept of some cloistered, little place that the Apostle Paul was writing to. And this was some highly spiritual place. And there were no real problems. But it's quite the contrary. These letters that the Apostle Paul, oftentimes, he was writing them, as we've been studying in Corinthians, he's been writing to places that was loaded with problems. And Ephesians is no different. Ephesians is no Ephesus was a very vile, corrupt society. And the Apostle Paul enters into this society with, with drunkenness, with immorality, with lewdness, with foul talking. It was kind of like our society. They had idols. They worshipped goddesses. There was pornography. Pornia all over the place. It was a very vile place. 
And the Apostle Paul would write with this in mind to people who were being transformed, to people who had received the knowledge of the glory of God. And this is, this is the kind of, of, of uh, position that the Apostle Paul was distributing. Now, we've already spoke about the fact that uh, Ephesians is really divided up into two sections. The first, uh, two sec- or the first three chapters are predominantly uh, theological. It's our theology. It's our doctrine. And as we step off over into chapters 4, 5, and 6, we begin to engage in some of the practical living of the person who is a believer, of the person who is a follower of Christ. And we want to choose our words carefully when we say this. I'm, I'm using the term follower of Christ, right? And um, the apostle writes here, to these people, how to walk. Malcolm very clearly uh, articulated last week in chapter 4 that the first thing we are called to is we are called to walk a worthy lifestyle. A, a lifestyle that coincides with the Lord Jesus. There was a story about Alexander the Great, I heard. And Alexander the Great uh, had a great army. And there was a soldier who had been brought to him, who was accused of being cowardice, of being frightful and scared of the battle. Well, interestingly enough, his name was Alexander. And Alexander brought him before him and he says, you got to do one or two things. You either got to man up or change your name. Man up or change your name. And it's the same way. Walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, right? This morning I, and this evening, I hope to develop two thoughts. We're not going to do the whole chapter because that would be obnoxious. <laughs> you guys would get seasick if we tried to do that. So we're going to pick out two main thoughts and try to develop that. This morning I want to tackle verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And um, I've kind of titled this Mimicking. Later on this evening, we're going to tackle the other verses, uh, verses 18 through 21, which I think are pivotal and are key to the whole book of Ephesians, no less to speak the rest of the New Testament. Uh, It's key to understanding that. So why don't we do this this morning? We're going to just go on ahead and read... Uh, verses chapter 5 verses 1 through 7 and I hope that my crackly voice is not too distracting maybe you didn't even notice it until I just said something but I'm anticipating as I move along and the fluids start rolling hopefully I don't a lot of don't come out my voice ought to be able to be a little more uh, receivable okay but just bear that with me I kind of been thinking about it because this has been an ongoing thing with me And it reminds me of that passage that says that every mouth will be shut one day, right? You know, as as I try to talk and I struggle with my voice, what a fearful thing to think that you would not, that I would not be able to verbally express 
passions that God has developed in me, right? But anyway, hopefully we're not going that way. But let's read in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read the first seven verses. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Maybe one more observation before I move on to my notes that I've been able to uh, see in this chapter is this chapter is really kind of divided into two sections. The first section really is an outworking. It is a walking in love and it's contrasted by a counterfeit love. What is a counterfeit love? A counterfeit love is fornicators, uncleanness, covetous, uh, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse... That's counterfeit love. The world tells you that this type of a lifestyle is wonderful. It's all over the TV screens. It's all in your communities. All these things. Foolishness, coarse jesting, um, idolaters... You know, but the scriptures teach us that is a counterfeit love. And anyone who lives that out will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, let me say it this way. If that's a characteristic of your life, you're probably not even saved. Right? That's not me. That's what the scriptures say. Right? So this first section, verses one all the way down through 17, have an outward, the outworking of an inward work. The second section, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's an inward working. Do you see how that works? That comes from within. And by the way, without that on the inside... The outside will all be foolishness. Without a filling of the Spirit, it's dependent on what's in you. If there's the drunkenness, if there's that, if there's that counterfeit love, that counterfeit joy found in drunkenness, and by the way, that in particular, why would the Apostle Paul put that here? I don't know if he's, you know, I, we're not going to be talking about whether you should be drinking or not drinking. That's really a personal thing that you have to study the scriptures and find out. But in this environment, it was a very real thing. It was involved in the religions of their time. They believed 
that you would drink to a place that you would become more in union with the spirits. There was that aspect of drunkenness. This is not a social problem that he's talking on. When we talk about drinking and stuff, it's more of a social issue. When we get here, it's a religious issue. This is a, an issue of inducing yourself to get in, in, in line with the spirits. So either you're inducing yourself uh, to get in line by drunkenness, which would direct you to the counterfeit love, and the opposing one is being filled with the spirit, which would identify you with the true love, the true love walk. So uh, let's take a walk here in this passage. You'll note that in verse 2, it says, And walk in love. And I don't think there could be a more beautiful, a more direct definition of how a Christian is to live. Walk in love. In terms of their behavior. Scriptures teach us to walk in love. And obviously, as we've mentioned it, this is a very practical passage. This is very practical. This is what the Christian does. And there's a great truth, I think, revealed here. And this is the truth. That unless our life right now manifests this, these righteous characters... Unless our life manifests these righteous characters, there's a great possibility that you're not saved at all. Okay? I'm not talking about works religion. Right? We're talking about an outworking of something from the inside. If you are a fornicator, if, you are, if, if there is uncleanness or covetedness in your life, guess what? You ain't saved. Thank you, brother. You have no inheritance with the kingdom of God. And I think the Lord is saying something to us as we dig into here. You know, because in the church, in Christendom today, in a lot of ways, it's easy to hide in the church. It's easy to come, and I thought about that this morning in the Lord's Supper. It's easy to come and do the forms and put on all the form and there be no real living relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's possible to do that, to come and just hide. You know, there are those who are religious, who are superficial and who maybe, quote unquote, made a decision, who walked down the aisle you know, who, who prayed a prayer, and there's no living evidence in your life that you walk in love. And that's exactly what the apostle is talking about. You can't keep doing what you were doing and say you've been changed. And look here again in verse 6. There are some people who want to deceive you and to make you think it's okay. You said a prayer. You walked an aisle. You're still sinning. God will just keep on forgiving you. And there's no real living evidence of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived. 
It can't happen. It can't happen. Apples don't grow on orange trees. You don't get, you don't get, you know, uh, good sweet water out of bitter water. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. The world has a counterfeit love, and it involves these things: fornication, adultery, covetousness, and all that kind of stuff. It's a counterfeit love, but we are not to buy into that counterfeit stuff. My daughter went to the movies the other day, and um, you know, I don't under, you know, they're young, and, and I don't really want them to do it, but I don't want to restrict them to do these things. Now, I'm not saying movies are all bad, but you know, they, they, I'm, she's saying, "What are you worried about, Dad?" You know, we're not going to get... I'm like, it's not... It's what happens when you allow that stuff. When you allow the world's design of love to invade you on a regular basis. You can't keep doing that. It's not a matter of you losing your salvation because you've done that. But it is a matter of you being fruitless instead of fruitful. We're not to buy into that counterfeit. If, if, if we're true Christians, we are to be characterized by real love. And that's what I think the point that the apostle is developed, developing here. And of course, you're very familiar with 1 John chapter 4, where we read that God is love, and he that loves knows God. And if you don't love, you don't know God, no matter what you say. Right? You can say whatever you want. But if it's not working out in your life, well, you need to investigate it. If your life isn't characterized by love, then basically you don't know God. Because God is. If you don't love your brother, the love of God does not dwell in you. First John 4 tells us. And so the apostle here, he's saying the very same thing. He's saying it in this sense. Walk in love, and if there's no love in your life, or if it's the counterfeit stuff that the world is offering, you're not in the kingdom, no matter what you think. Now, I've said that a few times, because it needs to sink in. Now, let me go to the passage and and look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Be ye therefore... Followers of God as dear children. Now, I want to pull this one phrase out. Followers of God. And the Greek word here is mimete. Mimete. And what English word do you think we get out of that? Mimic. Right? As mimickers. And when you say mimic, a mimic to mimic is not someone who just picks up general patterns. Right? Someone who mimics is someone who copies specific characteristics. And the Apostle Paul is saying, be imitators, be mimics of God. And that's a high standard, isn't it? And beloved, let me say this. The whole of the Christian life could be summed up in that one statement. Be mimics of God. Reproduce in you everything that is true of God. Matthew 5.48 says, So then, be perfect 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 14, 15 and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So the ultimate goal of the Christian life in 1 John 3, 2 says that we should be like who? Like Him. Because one day, we're going to see Him as He is. And it's a struggle. You know, you're saying, oh, preacher, man, you make that sound easy. It's not easy. Not, I'm not acting like it's easy. But the ultimate goal in the Christian's life is to press on toward what? Toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. In other words, the whole of Christian, the Christian life can be summed up, be imitators of God. And you know, this same principle is not just a New Testament principle. In Leviticus chapter 11, we read, For I am, for the Lord would say, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. It's an Old Testament principle as well. It's not a new thought. Now you might look at this in chapter 5 and verse 1, and when we do that, we can. it kind of, it was mentioned, I think, last week and maybe a couple other times, Thomas Wheeler mentioned it. You come up to this first word, therefore. And when you come up to the, to the word therefore, it's really almost like a fork. It's, it's like, it's like a, 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 you have to look both ways. You look back and you look ahead. You begin to look both ways, in both directions. And the kids said the verse this morning, this morning just a little while ago. We go back to chapter 4 and verse 1 and we read this. I therefore, this is where the Apostle Paul starts to articulate the practical life of a Christian. Therefore, for I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which with which, which you were called. Right. Right? The walk concept is the whole deal in these three last chapters. The walk. You're to walk, and that means it's a daily life issue. It's a lifestyle. To walk, this is, this is a, a, a... And you know, you see people walk, and you can, if you, didn't, if you didn't see them, and a lot of times you can tell who it is just by seeing them walk, right? Because they walk a certain way. And the walk concept, that's the whole thing. Now, now, we already noted that the first three chapters here in Ephesians deal with doctrine, and the second three deal with the practice. That is who you are. This is who you are. This is how you live. This is what God has done. And this is what you do. Walk worthy. And what does a worthy walk involve? Well, it involves a lot of things. It involves a lot of things. It involves a walk in humility, chapter 4, verse 1. It involves a walk in unity, chapter 4, verse 16. It involves a different walk, chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Different, not like the world. You know, look at verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. It says, walk not as other Gentiles walk. So it's a different walk. So it's a humble walk. It's a unity walk. 
it's a different walk. And now we come back here to chapter 5 and verse 1, and we find out that it is also a love walk. It's a love walk. And then later on in verse 8, it's a light walk. Walk in the light. And then later on in verse 15, it's a wisdom walk. Walk as wise, not as unwise. Right? And then in verse 18, it's a spirit walk. Be, be filled with the Spirit. Right? And then in chapter 6, in verse 10, we have a warfare walk. We're to, be, we're to be on guard. We're to use the equipment that God has given us to be able to walk and to stand. Therefore, stand, he says. Right? So we have, in other words, here we have a, a delineating He's delineating the different walks in a believer's life. But let me say this. At the heart of the whole thing, right at the heart, it's this beautiful phrase, be imitators of God, walk in love. And that brings it all down. It makes it very practical, right? Listen to this. This is what it brings it to. If God humbled himself in Christ, you be humble. If God in His Trinity is one, then you be one. If God is different, if He's set apart, if He's not like this evil world, do likewise. Set yourself apart. If God is love, then you be love. If God is light, then you be light. If God is wise, then you be wise. If God is guided and directed by the supernatural spiritual principles, then you be directed by those same principles. If God is the victor over Satan, you have victory over Satan. Right? Very practical. That's it. That's exactly what it is. Have you ever stopped to think about everything that you have in Christ? Those first three chapters that we went over, here's a list of them. The first three chapters, and I just want to remind you, they tell us these things. We have a new standing before God. We have a new life, a new righteousness, a new father, a new inheritance, a new citizenship, a new master, a new freedom, a new victory, a new security, a new peace, new unity, new fellowship, new joy, new spirit, new power, new ability, new calling, and a new purpose, and even a new love. So God says, walk in this love. And that's a lot of new stuff, ain't it? <laughs> and one day we'll have a new body. <laughs> but until then, we want to exercise our walk. And you can't help but see this concept of love woven all through the passage, all through this the first three chapters of the book. In chapter 1, he says, in love, God's predestined us. In chapter 2, he says, why did he show us mercy? For his great love wherewith he, what? Loved us. In chapter 3, to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. It's amazing. It's woven all through the whole chapter here. The whole deal, the, our whole position is predicated 
on God's love. Let me move along here. Look at verse 1 now. We haven't got past verse 1. I apologize. It's probably not going to get very far. It says, <clears throat> it says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And by the way, this is not a suggestion. Maybe you think maybe you can be an imitator. No, this is a command. This is a command. This is in the imperative. It means it's not a suggestion. It's not even a, it's not just stating a fact. It's a command. Be imitators of God. You've got to be what you can. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And so, you know, we got to back up when we say that because that's a high standard, isn't it? Where do we start? Where do you start? How do you start? Well, I think you start from the beginning, right? You start from the beginning. You start from a point of sinfulness. Blessed are those who are what? Poor in spirit. You start, and you have to start from the fact that you cannot do it. You cannot be an imitator of God because you are sinful but you want to know something even the reality of that does not change the fact that the command is still here so what are we going to do about it you've got to be what you can be and that's where the spirit of God comes in and we're going to talk about that later on tonight but you've got to start from the fact that you're a sinner and all things hang together which way does this take us when we look? It takes us backwards because it all hangs on together. What is the therefore, therefore to take us backwards? We talked about that before. Go back to chapter 4 and verse 31. Chapter 4 and verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, those are the opposite of love. Those are the opposite of love. And you see, all of those things preclude the fact that there is no love. And all of those things he's going to say is those things that we did. And we dwell there. And there was no love in us. Look at the next verse, chapter, chapter 4 and verse 32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. These are the characteristics of real love. These are the characteristics. Love is what? Love is kind. Love is tender. And most of all, love is what? Forgiving. Love is forgiving. And you see, it's a lack of forgiveness that makes bitterness. It's a lack of forgiveness that develops wrath and anger. It's because you won't forgive that you hold malice against other people. It's a lack of forgiveness. It's because you don't forgive them and you hold the bitterness and you hold the grudges because there's no forgiveness. And if there's no forgiveness, guess what? 
There's no, starts with an L and ends with an O. There's no love. That's exactly how it works. And the reason you don't forgive is because you don't love. So what he's saying here is put away the anti-love stuff. Get rid of it. Put away the, and don't let that be the characteristic that manifests your life. Don't let it. You don't have to. Don't have those characteristics of an unloving heart, but we want to have the characteristics of a loving heart. Kind, tender, and what? Forgiving. Kind, tender, and forgiving. And just to be sure that we're on the same and we don't want to miss where that comes from. Therefore, in order to be kind, in order to be tender-hearted, in order to be forgiving, you must imitate God in this regard. You must walk in love. Because it's love that is kind. It's love that is tender-hearted. It is love that is forgiven. So, it's, it's therefore... And it takes us right back to the central thought that forgiveness is the foundation of walking in love. You see, what he's saying here is love is best measured in its ability to forgive. You know, God didn't say, oh, look at all this good stuff I made, so... I'll love people. God didn't say, oh, look at how pretty all these women are and handsome these men are, so I'll just love them. No, the Bible says what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? He did something. He did something. So we measure our love and we want to ask ourselves, how do we love? The children of God love. The children of God love. That's all there is to it. If you don't love, First John says, you're not a child of God. And look at the end of verse 32. We are to forgive, and here's the key to the whole passage. We're to forgive. It's used twice, here in verse 32, and then again in chapter 5 in verse 2. We are for, to forgive as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Think of it that way. Well, think of it this way. How about this? No matter what anybody can do to me, no matter how anybody can hurt me, no matter what anybody can say, what anybody can do, God's already forgiven them. So why do I need to add to it? If God's already forgiven them, I ought to what? And it's not just the body of Christ, right? God loves the world. And that's what the walk of love looks like. Jesus already bore it in his own body on the cross. The sin is paid for. And we don't have to add to the pain anymore. We don't have to demand more consequences. Right? We can allow the grace of God. God, for Christ's sake, forgives you. You. For Christ's sake, forgive each other. That's what he's trying to get across. And remember, the measure of your love is the extent of your ability 
to what? Forgive. If you can forgive, your love is bolstered. Real love. 1 John 2.12, the apostle says, I am writing you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Colossians 2.13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven what? All your trespasses. If God can do that, we can too. In Him, it says in Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Amazing. Just amazing. It's a fantastic truth. So first of all, the depth of your love is, is indicated by how much you forgive. Walk in love. Now, think about it. Do you, do you, do you hold a grudge against somebody? You know, maybe someone in your house, you know, is there a problem, you know, in your marriage? Is there a divorce? Is there, you know, is something went on? Well, let me just explain it to you. Those issues are not somebody else's problem. They're your problem. Those are your problem. And you're the one that has to deal with them. Your inability to forgive belies your love. Right? It cheats your love if you cannot forgive. No matter what it is, it cheats your love. And I say that if this is a characteristic of your life, you need to examine your Christianity. Because if you don't have love, you're not God's child. Think about that. Not only, though, is the depth of your love is indicated by how much you forgive, but also the depth of your love is indicated by how much you know you have been forgiven. You can't forgive if you don't know you've been forgiven. I never cease to be amazed at people who have the greatest sense of forgiveness are those who came out of the depths of a sinful life. Do you, you agree with me? Those people who were involved in things, we've got people probably amongst us who've done things and come out. And people, I, I remember being in, in, in college and I was a roommate with a guy, Dave Robbins. He spent some time in prison. And he's in prison. He got saved. The, the guy's back in prison preaching the gospel. Right? It's amazing. To think about that. But you see, they're, they're, it's the people who know that they've been forgiven the most who are able to forgive. Do you know you've been forgiven? Do you realize you've been forgiven? And let me show you. We know the illustration. Turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 7. And we're just gonna, I'm going to do this because I don't want you to walk away half-cocked. Can I say that? We need to be fully loaded when we do that. Here's an illustration. In Luke chapter 7, in verse 36, it says this. It says, this is what it says. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. 
Okay, this is Jesus after, you know, he'd been doing so many miracles and and he healed the centurion servant. And, and, you know, he talked about John the Baptist. And and one of the Pharisees says, well, come on, come over to my house and have something to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of oil, of fragrant oil. And we don't have a whole lot of time to go into all of this, right? But, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with tears and to wipe them with her hair. And you know how the story goes. And she's, she's crying, and she's, she's weeping, and the, and, and the Pharisee, he's like, who, who does he think he is? Doesn't, if he was somebody, he'd know who this woman was. What do you think he would have done if that woman would have come and washed his feet? He would have said, get away from me, you unclean thing. Who is this guy? He, he, doesn't he know who this is? And it says here in verse 40, And Jesus answered, and by the way, the Pharisee never really said anything. It says, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Jesus heard what he was thinking. And Jesus says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, okay, teacher. He says, therefore, a creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50, and when they had nothing which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. And then he goes on, you know, I've been here. You haven't even given me something. You haven't even showed me any real courtesy. You didn't. You didn't embrace me. You you didn't do anything. You didn't anoint my head. He says, therefore, in verse 47, I say to you, her sins are forgiven, which are, what? Many are forgiven, for she did what? Loved how much? She had much sin and she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You see, the ability to love depends on how deeply you sense the love of God in your own life. How much you realize God has forgiven. It's dependent upon how much you know you have been forgiven. And so what's going on here in Ephesians, we'll go back there. Ephesians chapter 1. What's going on here in Ephesians is the Lord is saying, God loved us and forgave us. And that's the way that we are to be with each other. God loved us and forgave us. And in great measure... Your ability to love is absolutely dependent on your desperate estate, recognizing that you've been forgiven much. That's it, people. That's what it's all about. That's what it means to walk in love. So we want to measure our love, right? Can we forgive? We want to measure our love. So we are in a sense... To be like God. But we can't do it. But the Spirit can do it. We'll talk about it later on tonight. Now I want you to see one thing. I want to see a pattern. We're going to look at a pattern here real quick. 
Look at the end of um, verse 2. Or at verse 2. And walk in love, how? As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Now that's the pattern. As Christ loved us. Self-sacrificing, self-giving love. You know, you say, how do we how, love like God? How does God love? Well, he loves this way. He forgives sin, and it doesn't matter how bad it is. He forgives your sin, and it doesn't matter. You know, we're like, I'll forgive, but, you know, that's too much. I can't, I can't forgive that. Well, God loves in this way, and he gives us the example of his love. And it's not other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see something here very important. It says, as Christ also hath loved. Here is something we might want to remember when we're hurt. Biblical love is not an emotion. That's worldly love. Biblical love is not an emotion. It's, it's never defined in the Bible by an emotion. Okay? It's an act of self-sacrificing giving. Not expecting anything in return. True biblical love says, I love you even if I never get anything out of it. Does that sound like the world's love? I'll love you until I'm done. And then I'll go somewhere else. Or until you quit meeting my expectations. Right? True biblical love says... I will love you even if I never get anything out of it. Did you know that God loves the people who are on their way to hell just as much as he loves the people who are on their way to heaven? He loves them the same. Do you know that God loves those people who cursed him at the cross? Remember him hanging there? And he would look down and he would say, Father, what? Forgive them. Because... God's love is never conditioned on a response. And that ought to secure your marriage, which he talks about a little bit later. Right? You see, it's a love that doesn't exist based on reciprocation. And that's the point. It's a humble, obedient, self-giving, self-sacrificing love that says, I love not for what I get, I love because it's my nature. Oh, wait a minute. We're going to get to that later on this evening. (laughs) Because it's not our nature to love, is it? It's not our nature to love. Biblical love is not conditional. It's unconditional. You look at the Lord Jesus in John chapter 13. When the disciples were clamoring. They know. They all know what's coming up. They know he's going to be, you know, something's going to happen. The fight's on the rise. Well, They start arguing. Well, I want to be first. Well, I want to position myself in the kingdom. And what does the Lord Jesus do? In spite of all of that, He would love them. And He would wash their feet. And He would love them. He gets down and He blesses them. And He died on the cross. And He said to those people standing there, spitting in His face, Father, forgive them. You see, love always forgives. And forgives those who even don't want it. Right? God loves people on the way to hell. He loves the people already in hell. God is pictured in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 13, 17. Oh, if you don't hear what I have to say, mine eyes shall weep and 
Tears shall run down for you. That's how God feels about it. And so Jesus died for us. He died for the whole world because he loved the whole world. And you know something? It's that kind of love that God wants. It's that kind of love, not that reciprocal, unconditioned, conditional, worldly love. Look in verse 2. Watch this. That when Christ did this, he gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice. It became what? To God. A sweet-smelling sacrifice, right? An aroma. A sweet. You see, that's the kind of stuff that makes God happy. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff that God enjoys. A selfless love. You want to please God? You want your life to rise to God's nostril and, and God be pleased with it? Well... Let your life be a life of love. The love that's predicated here. Let it be a life that's characterized by unconditional love. Not talking about doormat stuff. We face the realities of the sinfulness of the world. Right? But we don't hold grudges. Right? We forgive and we forgive and we and we forgive. How many times? Seven times? Seventy? <laughs> or seven times seven? No. We continue to forgive. And then we're not going to have those grudges and those bitternesses and that anger. It's, it's not going to be any part of us. This ought to characterize our life. If this doesn't characterize your life, then we want to examine ourselves. And we want to ask, are we truly in the kingdom of God? Are we a child of God? Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we could go on and on and on. And I apologize, Lord. Perhaps we've not communicated the depth of what your love really is. And honestly, we could not. Not in this world, but one day when we see you face to face, we're going to know how to love you, even as you loved us. But until then, Father, may we walk in love. Help us, teach us, clear our minds and our hearts and our faculties of our own selves. Let us be imitators of God, that the world would know that we're not like them. We thank you in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.